focus on somebody who is happy and successful. They don't have to be um, happy in every realm of their lives, but if there's something in particular you can focus on, then that's good. Yeah, because later on, as, as it's extended, you know, you may be focusing on people who are not particularly happy, but you are wishing for them to have happiness. And any happiness they do have, you're wishing for it to, to expand and increase. Well, you can, you can create any phrases, you know, that, that you feel are right for you. Um, the idea behind that particular phrase is the non-demeaning quality of metta. You know, instead of looking at somebody's happiness and saying, may you have a little bit less so that I feel better about myself, it's really saying, may your happiness increase and increase and increase. So that's the, the direct thrust of that particular phrase. No, no. Yeah. I see any problem with it if there's no attachment. You know, I mean, there is a, a almost a scientific reality to the factor of creating conditions for certain things to arise, and and we can do that very often. But it's not an absolute control, you know. And so, yeah. And you can do it. The bottom line of the Vipassana practice is really a non-interfering awareness. We're simply watching things arise and pass away, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess it depends a lot on your level of attachment. You know, if you can play in the mind in that way without, you know... Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Stay with the breath if the other objects are not very compelling. Sure. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's it's absolutely fine. If something becomes compelling and you are trying to keep your attention from going there, then you're going to be setting up conflict and difficulty, you know. And so that's not the point. But it's fine to keep shepherding your attention back to the breath. Yeah. yeah, sure. That's hard to say, actually. You know, one of the things that I appreciate about practicing in places like Burma is that there's no such thing as a retreat model with a beginning and an end. The teachers are there, the facility is there, and people come and go as circumstances allow, you know, or compel them to. And on one level, it's not so great because it's quite chaotic. Somebody's always coming and going. But on another level, it lifts the kind of stigma of the idea that you must sit for a certain period of time in order to get results, that you must sit for three months, for example. Um, and it's very individual, you know, according to what happens for people. They do have an interesting um, approach I find in Burma, which is that they really want people to keep sitting for as long as they have some real energy and interest in doing it. You know, and beyond that, they don't think it's wise because then you're just dragging yourself around and putting much less energy into the practice, getting more and more discouraged, 
and ending up full of doubt. They say it's better to stop, you know, at the point where you're beginning that downward slide. That doesn't mean that every time you have a doubt, you know, or you feel a little less energy, it's time to stop. It just means that if you're really in that kind of um, sustained period, you know, where, where you just can't practice, then it's better to not practice. get that, but really to experience some degree of joy for oneself and for others, you know, and uh, not to cross that line, particularly. So keep the focus on the joy, not yeah. on yeah. prosperity. Or... Right. Okay. right. Okay, it's time to walk. Thank you. In terms of experiencing physical sensations, how do you experience water element? What does it feel like? Water element is fluidity and cohesion, and it it, uh, holds the other elements together. In some ways, um, you can distinguish earth element, air element, fire element, water elements. So anytime you feel a sense of cohesion or fluidity, water element will be there. Um, But it's the hardest one to see and it's like um, it's holding together the other elements. You know, they're all present, but we can distinguish them. Yeah, it's it's really hard to to experience water element. It's it's like a um, Flu- fluidity is the closest I could describe it. There's more of a texture. With, with the fluidity, you'll feel more of a... Um, with air element, it's very light, the movement. When water element's present, it'll be more, you know, like water. <laughs> the experience of water like in a stream or coming out of a tap or, you know, there's a, a force to it, a fluidity that you might, you know, hang out around some water <laughs> and uh, see if you can get a sense of that versus air, which is usually quite light. You know, so the, sometimes we'll think we're experiencing just air element, but often there'll be water if there's a feeling of um, weight with it. Sometimes it'll be earth element, though, if it feels hard. <laughs> the, the water element is often present with the other elements, and that's what's hard, is that it, it's, it's making it possible to experience it because it holds, it cohe- it, it's cohesive, it holds together, it binds. It's like another lens to explore um, what it is that we call my body. 
so often there's like different layers of experience with the body and sometimes we experience the body as very solid, very much me. Uh, and when we, when we start to go deep inside, one of the first layers of experience of the body uh, that one can look at from this lens is earth, air, fire, water. So instead of thinking the body is solid, there's a lot of change going on. And um, just as any physical matter, whether it's soil or birds or feathers or um, a carrot, (laughs) in any way in which we can explore physical sensation, one layer is from the perspective of what, what is it made out of? What is it? It, that's investigation. And so instead of seeing you know, my body as fingers and hands and legs, etc., it's possible to go deep inside and experience it as hardness, different sensations of hardness or softness in the moment, changing uh, what we think of as the word breath, warmth, coolness, pressure, Uh, But then, if you look very closely at times, you'll find that there's another layer uh, where it just feels like uh, vibration. You know, that it's... it's, uh, the uh, the concentration and the mindfulness will be stronger. And it it won't be from the perspective of earth, air, fire, water. It's almost like, uh, you know, if you turn on a TV and you can't get the channel, and it's all just like this staticky, strange, electric uh, patterns. That's how one can experience the body if the attention gets stronger. And, you know, it's just sort of these endless layers one can experience as it gets less um, familiar. Hard, soft, warm, cool, that's easier to handle in terms of me. (laughs) When it starts getting into kind of Star Trek, (laughs) you know, beam me up. It gets very light, and that gets a little scary. You know, when you start, you know, my favorite thing is to sort of be watching people sit, and somebody will sort of peek at their body. You know, you'll know that experience where you'll, you'll just be sitting there, and you'll think, my body can't be doing this, or it can't look like this. You know, it might feel big, or it might feel like it's disappearing. And you just sort of peek. <laughs> I'm sure you had that experience. Well, am I, you know, and you'll look and it looks the same. <laughs> okay, you feel reassured and it kills your eyes again. <laughs> and it feels like very different than what it looks like. Uh, so it, you can have many different ways in which you experience the body. But, but at the point I'm at, I would just. Try the the most important thing to do is experience it as it is in the moment, and however that is for you, that's what the practice is. You know, there's so many ways in which one can try to inspire people to look more closely, but that's all you know. That's all that is for is to help a person be here. Michelle, could you comment on? The mind that is already packing, (laughs) (laughs) heading home, even though we know there's still a lot of time.
precious time left. Um, my favorite metaphor for the retreat at this point is the Boston Marathon. I grew up uh, where the people who ran the Boston Marathon ran by my house when I was growing up. And when it's a 26-mile race, uh, so if you can imagine running for about 24 miles, and then they hit this thing called Heartbreak Hill. It's flat all the way to Boston, and then it, they hit this huge hill. That's where we are. <laughs> you know, we're at Heartbreak Hill. Uh, and it, you know, it's a marathon, and it's really not a, you know, even though we have this tremendous momentum behind us at this point, it's still, to get to the end, <laughs> is hard. hard. Uh, so it's to keep being able to hold both the paradox of, it seems like we have so much time left. The people that have just come in, you know, they hear us saying it's almost over. And it's like they have these precious few weeks. And, <laughs> and I'm sure it's sort of like, what? You know? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's for, for the people who've been here three months, you know, that almost three months, it'll feel like, oh, it's easier just to leave than to put up with this ending, you know. So the art of coming out of a three-month course is an art. It's, it's being able to get to this point and hold that it's precious and also that you can feel it coming, you know. And, and you can do it. It just gets a little more like... Um, <laughs> more intense. <laughs> it just gets more intense in that it's... Uh, you'll feel yourself starting to come out, and then you'll pull yourself back in, and you'll feel yourself coming out, and you'll pull yourself back in. and That's okay, just to know that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, the mind is just like another sense door. Right. the first one. It's important to be careful of, you know, um, feeling annihilated by that. You know, it's not, it's not an annihilation. It's, there's many things present. It's that there's nothing permanent or solid that one can find. But you can certainly find a lot. You know, it's you know, it's it's it, the encouragement is to keep looking to see if you can find something, you know, permanent that's me. But it's not that one can't find a lot happening. It doesn't annihilate. It means that it's just constantly changing. Uh, so that to call any of it me is really limiting. And so instead of it being something that limits or annihilates, it's meant to open and open and open so that um, one's experience of the wind or the experience of a person or experience of anything is, it, it, it opens one up to uh, not being this separate little thing. So thoughts come and go, uh, emotions come and go, physical sensations come and go, Mental states come and go. Uh, that that isn't 
meaning that there's nothing there. And the, when one starts to get a sense of the depth of that understanding, one starts to see that it's really wonderful to be here uh, to learn and to, to express the understanding with compassion for oneself and for all beings. You know, so one starts to um, want very deeply to develop more and more wisdom and compassion. Anytime you have the thought, you know, if there's no me, (laughs) then blah, blah, blah. Usually it's kind of like, oh no, fear. Uh, There's this feeling that we're trying to, you know, (laughs) extinction. It's not about extinction of something because there's nothing there to extinguish. What we're doing is trying to... uh, make a dent in aversion, attachment, and delusion. A three-month course, you make a really good dent. I think you can have the experience of metta as physical sensations as well as through the, through the heart, the mind, or uh, it, it can be both. Or it can be just the, the experience in the heart. And the, and the others are similar in that you can have corresponding physical sensations with compassion and mudita, equanimity, and they're also, uh, much, much of it is in the heart or mind. Last one, yeah. Uh, you can well, you could say that uh, love tells me I'm everything. That's pretty positive. <laughs> if you can include the pleasant and unpleasant and neutral aspects of life, you, you know the the whole human experience. Uh, that's what we don't like. We like ten, we tend to think of love as pleasure rather than the unpleasant and the neutral. So if, if we can open to... The practice is one of opening us to deeply... The love is deeply opening up to experience and learning that it comes and goes. It's not ours, but it, it, um, it opens us to, up to experiencing everything. That's pretty positive. Uh, Our experience. (coughs) Our moment-to-moment experience. (laughs) Just keep staying with your experience. Keep going. Rises. What is the, the two choices? Well, <laughs> you know, like something happens, there's something unpleasant. Yeah. And you can have a version. Yeah. And when you say, oh, okay, then my response 
When do you respond with aversion? When, when do you, something happens and you kind yeah. of react to it with aversion, yeah. or just accept it. Yeah. So when do you say, okay, instead of reacting with aversion, it's beginning to come up, and then accept it, and when do you just allow the aversion to be there and just let it I don't really know if I understand the question, but let me just say that when we find ourselves in a situation where aversion has arisen, then we have to deal with it at that stage. And depending on how clear we are, we may recognize that we're angry, or we may not, or not only angry, disappointed, frustrated, fearful, sad, any of the various forms of aversion or pulling away from or pushing away from experience. And some of them are very subtle. And we may not recognize them as a unpleasantness that we are pushing away from. When we do find that we are averse to a situation and that aversion in one of its forms has already arisen, if we can recognize it, then we can do something. If we don't recognize it, we will act it out or be totally uh, enmeshed in it. If we recognize it, then we can, depending on our energy and clarity, we can note it, we can be with it, feel it, recognize it, noticing what happens to it as we pay attention to it. That's if we've got good energy, good mind, good mindfulness, and pretty uh, equanimous or tranquil mind. If we don't, then we can try any number of other um, remedies. One is just uh, consciously trying to cultivate metta, compassion, understanding, equanimity, tranquility in that situation and realizing, oh, okay, better just kind of count to ten, you know, and those are pretty, that's a pretty skillful thing, just count to ten before you, you know, respond. And that's a, you know, a kind of a, a replacement technique for aversion or any mental state, but aversion particularly. If you have the choice to open to the situation which you have, you know, find yourself pulling away from, by all means, choose to open. Yeah, choose to open. I mean, notice, oh, there's aversion. Can I open to this? Oh. Oh, for sure. Open to the open to the discomfort, mental or physical, if it's possible. Or at least approach it, find out how intense or how strong the aversion is. The other question is I understand that none of us are arising. This responding?
from a very absolute point of view, we could say that wisdom actually is, is the factor of mind that chooses to respond with wisdom. Ignorance is the factor of mind that chooses to respond with ignorance. In the stream of consciousness that is ever-flowing, different factors of mind have different strengths at different times. If we attend to, and I say we in a, in a generic, um, conventional understanding, if we attend to what's happening, mindfulness, tranquility, understanding arises. They, in turn, condition future moments. More wisdom, more understanding, more energy, more mindfulness. Sometimes we get really um, I think unnecessarily bogged down between hey, if there's no person, who's doing it? And we really need to understand that there is a conventional reality and that we as people, beings, you know, personalities, within that conventional reality, act, respond, choose, etc. And we, that's very personal. And we need to honor and, and acknowledge and respect and work with that reality of I, the personality, choosing, acting, behaving, and all of those having consequences. When we talk about, let me just say generically, absolute reality, and what's actually happening. It's an experience and an understanding that comes from profound, deep insight, which does not exclude this conventional reality of you and I, but is a seeing through of all the conventions to the laws of nature which are operating here. And practice like this is really a dual track of working with the very conventional reality of you and I, body, personality, time, birth, death, choices, and how we're going to live our life. And that's one track in practice. And this other parallel track, which is also being acknowledged and increasingly understood that, indeed, this conventional reality isn't all there is. There's another whole sphere and way of knowing this, which can inform our participation and actions and choices in this conventional reality. And when we really tune into and 
see that both of these understandings are being uh, enhanced or or verified or worked with, uh, then we don't get into this endless and ultimately um, frustrating choice in comparison of the two. And say, well, you know, as the question so often is, if there's nobody doing it, who's doing it? I would ask you to look at your own experience. And if your own experience is primarily and uh, in the conventional reality and you're spending a lot of time dealing with personality, personal choices, um, interactions, uh, external interactions, fine. Work with the understandings that apply or how they apply in that situation. If you find yourself in deep states of insight, deep tranquility, concentration, and really seeing the mechanics of existence and the mechanics of the mind, the understandings speak equally to that level of understanding as they do to this level of experiential reality. Use the understandings for whichever level and everything in between that you are primarily experiencing. To, to, to set the mind up to choose, oh, this is right and this is wrong, I agree with this, I don't agree with that. Endless frustration, as you can see. Deep experience, or any experience um, understood clearly will be reflected in the Dhamma, the teachings. Or, and it's not to say that one is better or inferior or uh, preferred to the other. The teachings speak to all levels of understanding, conventional as well as deep um, insight. When you ask yourself who's intending, note asking instead of buying into the content of the question. Because, in fact, what is happening at that time is, is questioning, asking. But instead of seeing that clearly as, oh, what's happening? What right now? What's happening? Questioning. Instead of seeing that, instead of the clear, precise knowing, there was a buying into the question, the content of who's asking? Oh, well, I don't know. Let me think. And that's not insight. That speculative thinking and getting caught in the content of the mind rather than just noticing without comment, without uh, judgment or reaction to what's going on. And so when you, you know, when you note, 
you know, you're sitting and you intend to move, uh, intending. If the next moment of awareness reveals the question, oh, who's asking? Who's intending? The note or the, the clear recognition of that is oh, questioning, not trying to answer it. Is that clear? As the Buddha said, our views and opinions that there is a personality here doing this is so heavily conditioned and we are so attached to it that seeing through that is not easy. And that may be, it's true, it's true. And that's, that may be your initial uh, experience that there is a felt sense of, well, I'm intending. If there is that felt sense of, I am doing this, note that feeling or sensing or whatever it is, because that's the actual experience that bare attention reveals without comment. What? I like to say that in practice, insight practice, the question we ask and answer is what? What is happening? And if your answer takes more than one word, then you're probably not doing insight. You're probably doing reflection or speculation or thinking of one sort or another. What's happening? Thinking. What's happening? Feeling. What's happening? Intending. What's happening? Moving. What's happening? Confusion. What's happening? rather than buying into the story that explains what's happening, that explains how I feel, that explains why I am intending. Explaining and, and uh, commenting and is not clear seeing. A little after nine. I know there's other questions. Sorry. Please have a good day of insight practice. Being attentive to each moment's what? <laughs> Thank you. In that suggestion of taking a second look, um, that doesn't have to be sort of a systematic uh, effort which you make regularly. It was more a suggestion of from time to time, even when we feel like we're being accepting, you know, to investigate or examine again. Some of the ways you can do that, if you're using the mental noting, check in with the tone of voice of the note, because that reveals a lot about the mind state. 
It could also be helpful to tune in um, just to the quality of the body and the body posture as the background to whatever particular painful sensation you're feeling. Because often when there is a subtle kind of resistance or not so subtle, it's like we can be with noticing the painful feeling with an unnoticed contraction happening in the body. You know, as if there's some level, or there, there might be some level of tightening against the sensation. So that could be a kind of check. Um, sometimes just so, something as simple as uh, taking a moment and going to sound, to hearing, as a, as a reference point for a mind that's really open and spacious, because generally when we're with hearing, usually there's not resistance unless it's your neighbor that's making noise. So that could be another way of just checking, okay, is the mind really open or is there some kind of tightening? But don't make a project of this. This is really just out of interest from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the the problem of birth, old age, disease, death, rebirth, old age, disease, death, is not so much the cycle. It's what happens within it. <laughs> it was about... Uh, both the story last night of the Tibetan doctor using the reflection or the context of karma really to understand and in some way to keep his mind and heart open and also in relationship to the karma talk some weeks ago is there some kind of reflection on the law of karma which helps develop this wisdom in an interesting way we're coming to that in the Brahma Vihara sequence because the uh, practice of equanimity is a reflection on karma and that in fact is the uh, phrase that's used that all beings are the heirs of their own karma and that our happiness or unhappiness depends on our actions not on our wishes and so as we do that for ourselves and through all the categories of beings it really establishes or it strengthens this wisdom you know, and, and it has a very powerful effect. And, um, sometimes we'll get more into this when we get to the equanimity practice. Um, it's very important to distinguish equanimity from indifference because people sometimes confuse those two and then react against the notion of equanimity because they're hearing it as indifference, of not caring, even of blaming. And it, that's not equanimity at all. Equanimity is the wisdom of impartiality, of perfect impartiality. Yeah, 
Who are we talking about? <laughs> the influence, you know, that one month you're out you're of warehouse. No, I, under, I understand the circumstance. I think, it, I think it very much depends on the mind that's entering into those scenes. For a fully enlightened Buddha, it wouldn't make the slightest difference. For a slightly less enlightened, it would make a bit more of a difference, but perhaps not too much. For somebody who's very reactive, it might make a big difference. Certainly what, uh, since we're mostly in the middle between very reactive and fully enlightened, uh, I think there is an honoring, and in some way it's, a, it's an important question of, it's an honoring of the benefit of conducive surroundings to awakening, you know, because some surroundings are more helpful in terms of staying mindful and staying awake. And at the same time, understanding that essentially and fundamentally there's no difference. So again, that, as we talked earlier, this is the union of understanding relative and absolute. Absolute, from the absolute perspective, it's all equally empty. From the relative perspective, different conditions have different uh, influences. Um, my question is... I'm not sure I exactly get the, the main point of the question, uh, but I'll give it a try. It seems to me that there are two different aspects. One is the wisdom factor, one is the compassion factor. The compassion has to do with the motivation. And now we, if we take a good, clear, honest look at ourselves and the space out of which we're responding, we'll know. We'll know whether it's really coming from a place of connectedness and caring or a place of aversion or reaction. You know? and so that's within ourselves just to look and see, okay, what's the space out of which it's coming? In terms of the skill of the response, that really depends on our wisdom level. Because we might be coming from a compassionate place, and do things which are more or less skillful, you know, because of our wise or not so wise assessment of what needs to be done. That's why it said the Buddha was the, the master, had perfected skillful means because of his omniscience. I mean, if you're omniscient, if you know everything, <laughs> it's hard to go wrong. <laughs> Since we're somewhat less than omniscient, You know, but th this also, I, I see a lot of our practice, both the meditation practice and training that we undergo in a situation like this, and also our practice in the world of being in relationship, I see it very much as a practice and a growth of skillful means. It's like we learn from paying attention to suffering and the alleviation of it we just watch and we see and we learn. 
Yeah, this is appropriate. This is not. Oh, absolutely. And, and also great sensitivity. Somehow to, to connect with where the other person is actually standing, where they're coming from, rather than laying an agenda, our own agenda, on it. So it's a great art, and, and one that's very interesting in terms of relating to people. You know, can we really open and just begin to get a feeling of them from their perspective? Right. Maybe, maybe. Maybe it's the same skills. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, there isn't one. The, the, the essence of what I have found to be most helpful is practicing the art of listening. You know? Because that's what lets the situation in, rather than covering it with preconception. Then from that place, and again, this also comes in the development of practice as the fruit of all of our experience of many different kinds. I think we learn to trust an intuitive wisdom out of that space of listening so often, just out of the quiet mind, out of the silent mind, a response comes. And I've noticed in myself that the quieter my mind is and the better able I am to listen, the more right on is the intuition that comes out. It's not, it's not even a particularly, it's not thought out, it's not deduced, it's just there. And in the course of practice, uh, I think we connect more and more with this space of the mind. Just before we end, uh, I'd like to go over with you the six-part walking. <laughs> <laughs> I plumbed the depths of my <laughs> silent mind. <laughs> and lo and behold, <laughs> it might be worth playing with it a little bit because uh, in my practice, uh, at times, I found it extremely helpful. It was really a way of refining the walking meditation. Uh, so you need not do this all the time, but just as something to play with a little bit. It's dividing the step into six parts instead of three. And it's lifting. Then dividing the moving into two sections. 
So it's lifting, and then the first part is move, and then the remaining part, you could label it whatever you like, but move, carry. And then lowering is placing, and then when you touch, it's step, and then as you put your weight on it, it's press. So it's lift, move, carry, place, step, press. Um, again, the, the particular words you use don't matter, and if you find words more appropriate, it's fine. But it's basically those six sections. Um, again, I just you might play with it and see uh, if you find it helpful. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.